and welcome to Quilt Achievement's Markets Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and trends that we've been exploring for you here at Quilt Achievement. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you're listening on, or alternatively, by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Simon Doherty, Head of Managed Portfolio Services at Quilt Achievement. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by regular podcast guest Richard Carter, our Head of Fixed Interest Research, and Ben Barringer, Senior Equity Research Analyst covering global technology, communication services, and media. Good morning to you both. Richard, if I turn to you first, a new month and a new quarter with US markets signing off for June with another strong session on Friday. Now, I think if you take a step back, these moves were partially driven by quarter-end exuberance, but also by a key data point watched closely by the Fed, which suggested that inflation pressures are continuing to ease slightly. Can I start by asking you to elaborate upon these latest figures? And do you think they have any bearing on the Fed's next steps? Uh, yeah, good question, Simon. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're going to have a massive impact. I mean, you, you're right. I mean, as as everyone will know, there's lots of different uh, inflation measures uh, around, but one of the ones that the um, Fed focuses on quite closely are these um, piece, is the PCE index, and that that did weaken uh, again on the on the latest reading, which is which is encouraging. Um, but um, the problem for the Fed is that other data points last week, particularly, were still pretty strong. And I would say I would sort of highlight the um, uh, employment numbers, so that the weekly jobless claims data is still very strong, uh, and also the housing market, which you would you know you would kind of think that's one of the most uh, interest rate sensitive sectors, you know, affected by higher rates, seems to have sort of had a bit of a rebound. So I don't think Friday's numbers will have um, a massive impact. The, the sort of latest comments from the Fed and from Jay Powell um, suggest there's at least one more rate hike in the pipeline, uh, possibly two more, depending on how the data unfolds. So um, yeah, as I say, still some still some way to go for the Fed yet. Great stuff, thanks. And if we turn back to Friday's gains once again, um, interesting to note that the success the session concluded what was one of the best first half periods enjoyed by US stock markets in the past few decades, something that potentially our listeners might not be aware of. And this obviously is despite the plethora of negative headlines that we've seen year to date. Now, something I'm obviously very keen to, to delve into with Ben as well, given the primacy of, of the US technology sector in market leadership this year. But Richard, if I can ask you again at the very headline level, what are your key takeaways for investors so far in 2023? I think that the, uh, the key takeaway is that the economy has been remarkably, particularly US, has been remarkably resilient in the face of rising interest rates and um, there was a lot of doom and gloom around you know start of the year would we see a hard landing and all the rest of it well you know we haven't the um there has been the odd episode like the silicon valley bank uh, situation that suggested aha you know here we are getting towards um, the end of the cycle and, and the, the fed tightening is going to cause a few problems now um, but that seems to have been dealt with pretty well by, by um, you know, by regulators and, and otherwise the economy has kind of sailed on 
uh, pretty well and no sign that um, of any turn, particularly in the labour market, which remains as, as, as strong as ever. So I think we might um, we might get there at some point. But for now, I think, um, you know, we can take uh, encouragement from what's been, you know, obviously a pretty strong, strong quarter for markets. Yeah, thank you. And certainly a, a pretty strong quarter for international equities for a, a UK investor. But on the flip side, obviously, one asset class that has continued to struggle in 2023 has been UK government bonds. And, you know, we've seen that through the yields demanded by investors continuing to rise. I think, you know, if you look at the second quarter of this year, um, it was a challenging one for gilts. And June in particular proved very difficult for bonds with a, a shorter maturity date. Now, Obviously, last week, you, Vanessa and Will discussed the recent 50 basis point increase in the base rate by the Bank of England's MPC. It would be helpful, I think, for listeners if you could potentially just elaborate upon the relationship with and, and the impact of these moves on the gilt market. And with yields now above those seen you know, during last year's mini budget crisis, what do you see next for UK government debt? Yes, yeah, so, so different parts of the gilt market or, or bond market generally are, are affected by different factors. But, um, you know, the short end of the gilt market, if you're talking sort of naught to five year government bonds, very much driven uh, by what the market is expecting in terms of what you know, the Bank of England's going to do. Um, you do have these opposite odd episodes around, you know, like, like you mentioned, Liz Trust mini budget where different drivers affect it. But, but, but normally the, the front end is all about uh, what the Bank of England's going to be doing. And, you know, just as inflation's been a bit sticky, a little bit in the US, it's been very, very sticky here. And in fact, um, on, you know, some measures, if you look at core inflation, it's it's still rising. So um, the Bank of England is going to have to probably raise rates uh, by more than it has done. As you know, you mentioned the 50 basis point rise. I think a lot of that was about getting some, some credibility back uh, on the inflation fighting front. Um, and markets are expecting them to go uh, even further, potentially above 6%. So um, that's what's driven the, the move in, in the front end. Um, I mean, I think the outlook from here actually is, I think, fairly positive for bonds because although inflation is still pretty sticky, um, you know, things like energy costs, uh, food costs, I think are going to start coming down uh, fairly soon. And the market, you know, to be fair, is already pricing in a lot of bad news in terms of where the Bank of England's potentially going to put rates. And I think, um, you know, if we do see interest rates go up as high, you know, as high as 6%, then the um, impact on people's mortgages is going to be pretty, uh, pretty extreme. So I think, um, I think you're, you're right, bonds had a bad quarter, gilts had a bad quarter um, in Q2. But uh, hopefully from here, the, um, the outlook is a little bit more positive. Yeah, thanks, Richard. And I think, again, one of the other interesting trends from, from recent months has been investors transferring significant cash holdings from bank deposits and something you've talked about previously into money market funds. Just going back to that you know, point on short-dated government bonds in the UK, short-dated gilts, do they offer an attractive opportunity for individuals who are seeking a high yield from, from a lower risk segment of their investment portfolio? Yeah, I think I think absolutely they do. I mean, there's different ways you you can do it, and 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 the um, kind of almost have to consider the the tax position as well, because some short-term investments are more efficient than others as far as um, higher rate taxpayers are concerned. But um, you know, even if you even if you are a higher rate taxpayer, you can get yields 
net of tax in excess of around 5% on short-term guilt. So I think, uh, you know, they, they may go up, the yields may go up further, depending on what the Bank of England does. But I think um, relative to what, you know, is offered on deposit sometimes, um, I think uh, this is a this is a, pr a pretty attractive opportunity to lock in, you know, uh, yields of above 5%. Great stuff, thanks. And just finally, again, taking a step back and looking at the global economic outlook for the second half of, of this year. You know, it's been a, a constant narrative in 2023. But again, I think it's fair to, to continue to say that we remain in a period of, of heightened uncertainty in terms of potential outcomes. And, you know, you referenced earlier evidence of unexpected economic resilience. We're also facing the challenges of supply constraints. Sticky inflation is, is continuing to, to raise a number of challenges. And I think all of these are prompting investors to ask, you know, where next for central banks in terms of their approach um, to rates. So what are your current thoughts on this question? And also kind of just looking forward, what should people be looking out for over the forthcoming weeks when thinking about this question? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that stuff comes out of nowhere sometimes. So whether that was sort of Silicon Valley, you know, the first half of the year or the mini budget, stuff, stuff happens that... Um, you know, affects what central banks do, do or affects the outlook. But those things are very hard to predict, at, you know, at the best of times. I think the the, the overall message probably is that um, we are hopefully getting close uh, towards the end of the interest rate uh, tightening cycle. Um, but the, the, the key thing, I think, is going to be obviously whether inflation uh, stabilises, particularly core inflation starts to come down, uh, as we hope it will, but then also the labour market. I think as long as unemployment is low, as long as wage growth is strong, central banks have got a bit of an issue. They, they can't really take the foot off the brake um, too much as long as um, you've got very tight labour markets. So the thing that I think I and a lot of other investors will be watching the most closely are things like non-farm payrolls in the US. We've got the next one out this Friday uh, and things like the job numbers in the UK and, and wage growth. Because, um, as I say, until we see some sign of, of softening on, on that front, um, I think it's hard to get too uh, relaxed about where interest rates may ultimately go. Thanks again, Richard. I think at this point, Great to welcome Ben to the conversation. And obviously, Ben, you know, welcome back, fresh from your recent research visit to the West Coast of the US. Um, and a quick glance at the names dominating headline equity returns in America this year would suggest it's been boom time once again for tech. Um, and obviously, that follows in the wake of last year's challenges. But clearly, things are a little bit more nuanced on the ground. So kind of turning to your recent trip and the, the research meetings you had, what resonated most from those meetings with companies and how is this shaping your outlook on the sector? Yeah, thanks, Simon, and good morning. Um, so yeah, look, I think I, I did this trip every year and, and um, I think there were three key takeaways I was trying to get from, from this meeting. I had uh, 18 company meetings over four days and we went to see some enterprise software companies in, in San Francisco and cyber companies. And then we went down to the valley and saw um, some semiconductor companies and then to L.A. for some media companies. And then finally Seattle for these Microsoft and, and Amazon. You can't go to Seattle without seeing those two. So, um, yeah, look, I think the three things would be the job market, macro 
and what's happening in terms of AI. So let me just break those down. So, you know, a lot of concern with some of the job cuts that you've seen from the big tech companies that the job market, you know, is going to struggle in tech. And um, I think it, it's different depending on the skill set that that the, the the people have got. So, you know, tech developers are still very much a key asset. And um, if those are being displaced, then, you know, they're finding new homes pretty quickly. You know, we talked to some mid-sized software companies that were very happy that there'd been some job cuts at the big tech companies because that was allowing them to do recruitment uh, that they wouldn't have been able to do previously. Um, you know, the other area is, you know, sales and marketing. And, and it appears those guys similarly are finding, you know, new roles, although there is a little bit more um, slack in, sort of, in terms of sales and marketing roles in tech. But look, overall, I would point you to two stats. Um, one, that 85% of, of people who've been uh, made redundant in tech are finding roles within three months. So, you know, there's a fairly quick turnover if people are uh, displaced. And the second one is that actually the pace of uh, tech layoffs has slowed quite markedly in the, in the last couple of months. So in January, we had 108,000 uh, uh, job cuts, um, and that was about 50,000 through February, March, May, something like that. Uh, and then in June, that's come, that's slowed to about 12,000. So the pace of job cuts is slowing, and, and I think that's, part, you know, sort of reflective of a little bit of the macro, but um, certainly tech job markets still reasonably robust. Second area is macro, um, and it's very much the same pattern that I heard a year ago, actually, which is that deals are still getting signed, but there are some you know, macro pushouts, some slippages. And I think this is probably you know, fairly clear that the CFO, when, when companies are trying to sign new software deals, the CFO is getting much more involved and, and projects are only really getting approved if you're seeing you know, high time to value, fast time to value. So as I say, that's the same feedback I got a year ago. The only thing I would say is that, that companies given the macro, given the interest rate environment, that, that money is no longer free, this pivot from growth to profitability is very much in place. And so the companies that are able to do that growth to, to, to profitability pivot are very much getting rewarded. The ones that, that can't, aren't. So, um, so so there we are. The third piece is, um, is artificial intelligence. And I want to, uh, you know, um, zero in on one particular key debate i think that's, that's particularly poignant in software uh, which is the, the debate around how you price um the infusion of generative ai into your software because you know you're clearly ge generating a lot of value but lots of software is sold on a per user basis or a per seat basis as, it, as it's called and so that that's an issue if you sell software because um your customers have got two choices really they can either uh, employ the same number of seats and get and get productivity gains or they could employ less seats uh, and do the same as they were doing previously right and and clearly on a on a price times volume basis if you're selling software and you're selling less seats that's that's not very good for you for your sales line basically uh, and so this is still you know very much debated i think it, it comes down to what type of software you're selling and, and which part of the organization that addresses if you think about sort of front office and sales driven uh, uh software that's used in the sales process for example um that's going to be far more protected in terms of the number of seats because i think most companies in the world would before prefer more sales from their existing sales force uh, 
Whereas if you're a back office application, you know, you probably want to do the same, but with less people, right? And so, so that definitely skews the, um, the, the way that we think about uh, investing in software, particularly enterprise software going forward. Actually, you know, it's all uh, a little bit mute at the moment because lots of these products that have uh, generative AI infused into them haven't been priced. But the only one that, that has been priced so far is Microsoft have uh, infused their uh, co-pilot technology, generative AI co-pilot pilot technology uh, into a thing called GitHub. GitHub is the library that, that software developers use. And, and they've priced it at 40% premium to the previous uh, generation. And so you can see that there is a significant uplift if you can get your pricing uh, right and your, your price times volume right uh, for these companies. So, so yeah, those would be my three takeaways, Simon. Great, thanks, Ben. Great to get a, an insight into the, the level of detail and the areas being discussed. It's something I alluded to earlier, but the subject of market leadership has dominated a lot of conversations this year, both internally here at Quilt Achieviet, um, but also, you know, with investors. And I think one of the most interesting observations from 2023 so far has been just how significant the contribution from a handful of large tech stocks has been on that headline positive return that both Richard and I mentioned earlier. And interestingly, one stat I saw, you know, the concentration of these gains has now surpassed the levels that we saw even in the early 2000s. So, you know, a lot of that conversation has been around, you know, the impact and opportunity from from generative AI. Um, you've obviously referenced it there. It feels like you've not really been able to have a conversation internally this year without the topic being raised. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you had a, an excellent webinar last week on the subject of investing in AI, um, which, you know, for listeners is available on demand via our website. But I think just to summarize, you know, are markets, in your opinion, over or underestimating the potential effects and opportunities of generative AI at this point? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Thank you so much. Um, look, let's just go back to you know the performance over the over the half of the S and P and and the the Nasdaq. You know, the S and P was up almost sixteen percent, the the Nasdaq up almost thirty two. Uh, and if you break down the S and P performance, it's really been ten companies that have driven ninety percent of that performance, and eight of them have been to do with generative AI. The the, the two that haven't are, are Apple, um, which you know has had launch of its uh, Vision Pro and, uh, you know, has some some good tailwinds in terms of sort of product announcements coming coming in the next few months. And the other one is Tesla, right? But they're still, you know, tech companies. Um, the others have been Microsoft, the, the cloud providers, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon. Uh, there have been some software and internet companies like Meta and Salesforce. Uh, and then, you know, the semi companies like NVIDIA, Broadcom and AMD. And, and as I say, those 10 companies have made up about 90% of the S&P performance. Um, now, um, it's very interesting um, just to, to look at the, what the how the market has been sort of trying to price generative AI over the last six months, right? And, and so the initial um, winners were Microsoft and Nvidia, and I think those are you know certainly certainly pretty interesting. But then we saw a company called Chegg, and Chegg does software for for education, hel um, helping students learn and pass exams. Uh, and they said that they'd seen quite a significant reduction in the usage of their product 
because of generative AI. And then that led the market to sort of look for losers as well as winners from, from generative AI. And lots of the media companies got uh, got hit pretty, pretty hard. Um, I think what's important to look for is, is products that have, you know, stickiness in terms of consumers uh, they're embedded in their workflow and they already have existing you know sort of ai expertise and and that's you know super super important to answer your question directly around um you know generative ai it is a fantastic technology in terms of helping people do a number of things really you know, much better so generating content so the, the ability to generate images or to be able to um get to stop writer's block essentially you know i want to write a, a leaving speech or i want to write a wedding speech it can help me you know get to the get to the start line quicker is it exactly what i want to say no but it can help me um you know generate content from from the start it's very good as well for summarization uh, it's very good for for coding as well right if you give generative ai a relatively defined set of parameters uh, it can help you you know do things like coding um, uh, extremely well and then it's also you know good for, for knowledge workers for, for searching and finding out information however what i do think is that you know everybody's in this sort of excitement and knowledge building phase and often in and i've looked at technology for for 24 years now um there is this hype cycle that we get in terms of technology and so we'll be very careful that expectations don't get ahead of reality because often in hype cycles you have a uh ex expectations get ahead of reality and then there's a sort of trough of disillusionment where either regulation or the technology doesn't live up to expectations or there are you know errors in it and and so forth so um i think you've got to be really super specific specific because there are some companies that have sort of got tarnished with the AI losers bucket and I absolutely don't think that is the case and similarly there are some companies that have got AI in their name and have so, done ex, you know, extremely well and, and there's not a lot of merit there so over the coming quarters we're going to see this and going into Q2 numbers we're going to see whether this is actually impacting numbers and my suspicion is that there's not going to be much generative AI in the numbers only really Nvidia has shown that in their numbers so far and so I, I you know I would be positive on the technology but everything has a sort of addressable market and you you have to be careful that expectations of that addressable market don't get overblown hopefully that helps Simon. no that's great ben thanks an excellent summary i think of you know what is a very fast moving topic and one that seemingly you know is very much kind of an unwavering focus for investors at this point in time and I think if I can hark back to your to your recent trip as well you know you you outlined the fact that you were seeing you know a broad range of different companies you know operating and, and focused on different areas of, of the sectors that you cover um you know we talked about the concentration of returns but you know looking beyond that i think it'd be really interesting to to ask the question of whether you're seeing opportunities elsewhere beyond the gen ai story you know is this the only show in town or are there other interesting opportunities that are emerging you know across your other areas of coverage I mean, the short answer is that Gen AI has very much found a fillip to, uh, you know, to revenues and to interest in technology at a time when, you know, macro was really taking its toll. The, the, before generative AI, people were really worried about the macro. They were starting to look into sort of 2024, 2025 at a recovery. But um, 
as with with lots of things you know if you get a new technology it can it can ignite and, and assert um interest in lots of uh, of other you know areas it's not been all plain sailing you know if you're invested in analog companies for example that's not been particularly brilliant and in industrials hasn't been particularly brilliant auto has been quite an interesting area because clearly there's a lot more um technology going into to automotive but you know we look at uh, all the bit major areas of te uh, technology globally so you know it's mainly the us and it's mainly asia um and, and and asia you know we cover companies like tsmc that gives us an incredibly good read about what's going to happen to you know smartphone shipments for apple and for pc shipments for companies like amd and intel and and for um you know data center and auto and industrial and, and so on and so forth so you know that that's been uh that that gives us a really good read um it's interesting. There are some niche plays in Europe as well. Uh, you know, we've got the world's best uh, semiconductor um, capital equipment company. The, the machine they make the machines that make semiconductors in ASML. So that's been quite um, a uh, a standout as well. And and then similarly, we've got one of the best uh, power semiconductor companies in Europe as well. In in Infineon. Unfortunately, in the UK, there's not a huge number of of, uh, of great technology companies to to choose from. There used to be uh, when I started my career, but through a series of of takeovers um, and some fairly tough listing requirements, uh, there you know that pool has got significantly sh uh, smaller. So, um, yeah, look, uh, we try and look for the best world-class companies around um gen ai is taking a lot of the narrative at the moment but there are pockets of you know positivity and positive pockets of negativity a, a, as well excellent thank you ben thanks also to richard and to all of you for dialing in today we'd love to hear from our listeners so if you enjoyed our discussion please review the show now wherever you're listening and share it through your social media channels tagging us at quilt achieviates and also, just as a reminder, to make sure you don't miss a future episode, tap the subscribe button as well. We will be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, head over to our website, www.quiltachieviot.com, where you can read the accompanying market overview to this podcast, as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. And you can also stay up to date with our thoughts on market news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars including, and it's a shameless plug, the forthcoming MPS in Conversation webinar on Wednesday, the 12th of July, all available on our website or through our social media pages. Finally, if you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast, simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website. Again, we love to hear your questions. And that's it for today. So thank you once again, Richard. Thank you, Ben. And thank you to you for your time today. And for all of you dialing in, we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye.